Good evening. It's good to see all of you here today. We appreciate your presence and glad that you've come back for uh, part two tonight of a series, two-part series on um, the topic of Jesus has left the building. Now, I was informed this morning by several of you that I have lost my man card again by admitting to going to the Osmond Brothers concert many years ago, uh, but uh, I'll work to get that back. But um, the, the whole thought behind the theme is, again, that, um, you know, when you, back in the day, Elvis, you know, when, when Elvis would come, he'd come back out for a con, uh, for an encore and, and, uh, then go back and maybe come back again and the crowds would continue to yell. And, but finally, you know, that, that announcer, that PA announcer would say, Elvis has left the building. And that was the cue to everybody. He's not coming back. Get your things together and leave. Uh, leave the building because he's gone. It's that point that we're trying to drive home today because Jesus has left the building. And it's good to huddle, but we have to do more than huddle. It's time for us to leave the building as well. And, and that's the point that we're trying to get across. If we des- desire to be followers of Jesus, we have to leave the building. Now, again, I'm not throwing off on coming to church. I'm not throwing off on, on assembling here. This is holy ground. This is one of the places where we come and we meet God and commune with Him. But also, when you get out of bed tomorrow morning and you plant your feet on the floor... You're on holy ground there. And when you go to work, wherever that may be, you're on holy ground there. The point is that Christianity doesn't just happen here. It has to leave the building. And that's what we're trying to encourage us to see. Um, Football, there are so many sports illustrations that that you can use. You know, this is kind of like the huddle in a football game. We all get together and we encourage each other and we talk and we tell each other what we need to do and so forth. And, and, and there's this, this camaraderie where we huddle up together. But whoever won a football game because of a really good huddle? I mean, do you see how those guys line up? Uh, they, they make a perfect circle. Or how about the ones where the guys stand in the back and then the guys in front kind of kneel down? It looks so nice. You know, it's like they're posing for a picture. They are good huddlers. I don't want the church to be known as a good huddling church. You know, they huddle so well. I want to be known for what we do after the huddle. And that's what we're talking about here. Um, We have to take our Christianity outside of this building. The huddling is good, but the game isn't won by the huddle. The game is won by execution and taking what we learn and, and applying it elsewhere. Now, and I know, I know that it's hard to leave the building with what we have, but that's what God calls us to do. Moses in, in Exodus chapter three, uh, man, he had every excuse he could think of. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not good. I'm not a good speaker, Lord. Get, get somebody else. Uh, well, they won't believe me. Uh, who will I say sent me? Um, what if they don't believe me? And he had all these excuses not to go when God said go. Finally, he just needed to do what God said, and, and he went. And then you can turn in your Bible to Numbers chapter 16, 
And when the children of Israel had left and they had gone like Jesus or like the Lord had commanded them to do, you know what they do? They get out there and they say, why have you brought us out here to this mess? Well, we had it better. I wish we were back where we used to be and not out here. Because things were, in some respects, more difficult. and others, it wasn't. But again, there's that reluctance to just go and, and follow the Lord's lead. So tonight, I want us to talk about some things that will help us maybe um, give us some ideas as to how to get out of the building. This morning, we talked about why we need to. And, and I, I hope that we understand that. So here I am sitting here tonight, and I say, okay, well, I've got to leave the building. Jesus has left the building. Will his disciples follow? Um, we answered that, yes, we need to. But now the question tonight is, well, what does that mean? And, you know, put it in concrete terms for me. What, what does that mean? What do I need to do through the week to enable us to follow Jesus and leave this building? Well, I want to share with you four things tonight that uh, will help us uh, get outside of the building. And they come from what the first century church did. How did they leave the building to follow Jesus? They did pretty well. In a day and age when there was no mass media, no way to communicate like we have today, boy, they, they got that message spread throughout the world. So the, Paul said in Colossians that it had been taken to every creature. Um, it, it, it had spread. And that's what I want us to do. I want us to make that, that, take that gospel message and spread it to this community and to other communities. Well, here's what they did. Number one, they got out of the building by being, well, they hung out together. Have you ever thought about how important that is? It's good to huddle here and good to have worship services here and encourage one another. But do you ever get together outside of the building? Do you ever have time together where you talk to each other and and interact with each other and have social interaction together outside of the building? We need to do that. That's what the first century disciples did. In fact, turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 3. I want you to see something. Mark 3 and verse 14. Jesus had just selected the 12 apostles, and he had appointed 12 that they might, listen, that they might be with him and that he might send them out. Those disciples, those apostles, before they were sent out, needed to spend time with Jesus. He said, I've selected them that they may be with me, and now that they're with me, then I'm going to send them out. That's the way it works. Why do we come here today? Why, why do we gather together? Why do we have these assemblies of exhortation? So that we can be with Jesus. We can study his word. We can learn more about him. We can be encouraged by the hymns that we sing. We learn about the character of God and his goodness and grace and so forth that we sing about. And we come together and we learn who he is. So that now we can go out. The Bible tells us in Acts 2, right after the church was established, turn in your Bible to Acts 2, and I want you to just see a couple passages, how that they were together. Look at Acts 2 and verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers, 
Verse 44, now all who believed were together and had all things common. Look again also in in Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that the things they possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. They're, They're spending time together. They hung out together. They got to know each other. And you can go on to Acts chapter 5, um, how that they spent time together and, and outside the assembly. Acts chapter 12, same message. They spent time. We need to spend time together as children of God. When we hang out, well, what, what, what is accomplished by that? Bonds of fellowship are strengthened. We're, we're encouraged. We're around people that help us to resist sin rather than be pulled and tugged towards sin. Um, is it possible that we could ever get together outside of church, meet in each other's homes, and, and do things other than just um, have fun? Dare we ever get together and pray? Dare we ever get together and talk about the Bible, and study. I mean, oh, I know we do that here on Sunday in the building, but what if we hung out together and did those things in other contexts? That's what they did in the first century. They left the building, and when they left, they hung out together outside of just this assembly. And I would encourage and challenge us to be about that. That's not saying fill your schedule so much that you don't have time to do what you need to do as a family. But have interaction. Create interaction. It's not easy. It's much easier just to do your own thing and be left alone. But there are rewards if you don't, if you get involved with each other's lives. Hang out together. Here's another thing that they did. They were outspoken. The church needs to be a moral voice for the community. I, I, I'm saddened when I see moral issues confront society and the church lags behind. You know, there may be, a, you know, another, you know, some religious body or some religious spokesman and, and they're out there in the forefront and everybody's looking to them and, and commenting on their appraisal of the situation. Why isn't the church of our Lord in the forefront on moral issues? When things confront our culture, and well, look at, look, just look at the headlines in our nation in the last three months. Look at what we're discussing that have moral underpinnings. Is there not an opportunity to speak? We, we don't have to harangue people. We don't have, but can we not say in a very clear way, this is what God's will is on this issue? I want when moral issues confront our culture, our society, I want them to look to us. I want them to say, well, what do they say? And that's what they did in the first century. The disciples were very clear. Well, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. The church of Jesus Christ is what? The pillar 
and the ground of truth. We are the ones to support the truth. We're the ones who hold it up. We're the ones who support it and and proclaim it. Don't leave that to other people. That's our job. And when a moral issue confronts our society, let's get vocal. Let's write about it. Let's talk about it. Let's share with our friends and neighbors. Let's talk about it to those who ask at work. Don't be silent. That's how we take Jesus out of this building. That's how we leave the building and follow him, by speaking and being a moral compass to the community. In Philippians 2 and verse 15, Paul talks about people... Well, he uses this expression, they grope in darkness. Have you ever been in a place where it's just so dark you can't see? Maybe you get up early in the morning to go to work and you don't want to wake up your wife or you don't want to wake up your husband. And so you get up and you don't flip the lights on. And you know you're getting close to that dresser. And, you know, you keep reaching until you finally bump into it. That's the idea of groping. You know, you just... You, you know it's out there, but you can't quite find it. Paul said there are people in our world who grope in darkness. They know there's something better, but they can't find it. And so he says in Philippians 2 and verse 15 that we are to be lights to them. We're to shine the light so they don't have to grope in darkness anymore so that they can find their way. That That's why we need to be outspoken. There are people, not everybody in the world is evil, wicked, hating God. They just can't find their way. They need a clear voice. They need the voice of authority, which comes from the Word of God. They don't need opinions. What does God say? on that issue. Let's do that. Let's be that group of people who speak clearly so that all in our community can hear and know this is where they stand. And they side with God. I've looked. I've checked. Wouldn't you like to be the go-to person whenever some issue confronts our society, our culture, our nation? Wouldn't you like for us to be the people that everybody looks to? What do you think about that? What about this? We can be, but we can't if we're not outspoken. Another thing that we need to do is we need to be people who hear the outcry. We need to be compassionate. We need to hear people's cry and respond to their cry. Again, if you go back to Acts chapter 4, They had all things in common. And at the end of Acts chapter 4, you read about a man. And it's one of those, I think, unfortunate chapter breaks at the end of Acts chapter 4 and and the beginning of chapter 5 because you have two people being discussed. You have Barnabas. There there are people who... Here's Barnabas. He's got this... He sells land. He brings the money to the apostles' feet. And he says, hey, do with this as you need. I know there are people who are in need, and use what I've given for whatever purpose you see fit. And then right after he gets done, then we're introduced to Ananias and Sapphira, who did the same thing. They sold some property, but they lied about how much they gave and how much they paid or got paid for it and, and tried to make themselves look better. But here are people who are selling their belongings, 
because they're people who are in need. You come on over to Acts chapter 5 or Acts chapter 6 and you see that there were some widows who were being neglected. They needed help. And that becomes a concern of the church. And they see to it that that help is relieved. They didn't ignore the outcry of those women who were in need. They, they met their need. I, I want us to be people who, when we see things in our community, things in our culture, that we reach out. Listen, I really appreciate and want to commend you on what you did this morning. Um, devastating tornado went through Oklahoma and uh, many lives were lost. A lot of property was lost, affected members of the church as well as people in the world. I'm glad that we said, hey, here's an opportunity for us. I'm glad we didn't just let all that pass by and do nothing, reach out in no way to them. We, we took up a collect- I, I can't remember how much was taken up, several thousand dollars this morning, um, does somebody remember what that number was? Okay, $5,700. I mean, just above and beyond what we give here in the contribution. You know, that, that's what I'm talking about. We see a need. We see a, a, you know, a, a cultural phenomenon, and we respond to it. People are devastated. What impact does that have on the lives of people? You help me when I'm down and out. You've got my ear. I'm going to listen to you. You show me compassion when my life is turned upside down. You reach out and touch me when you don't have to. You have gained a friend. What better way to let people see Jesus than to hear their outcry and to reach out to them? That's what we need to do in order to get out of the building. Let the world um, know that we are disciples of Christ by, by the service that we render. Let's have hearts that can be touched. Not hard-hearted, well, hey, at least it didn't happen to us. Let's reach for, look for ways to serve people outside of this building who need help. And here's the fourth thing. They change their outlook. That's how they got outside of the building. This world, to some people, is everything. It's not to the child of God. Oh, we live in it. We use it. Uh, There are things that are tools, means to an end that we find in this earthly life. But this world is not everything to us. Because our outlook has changed. Have you seen somebody that is so consumed with the world that they're uh, worldly thing? It's all about worldliness. It's all, you know, it's all about what my kids are involved in and what they've got to be in their ball games and, and band and, and this and that and the other. It's all about that. And it's all about work and it's all about prestige and power and reputation. And it's all about getting a bigger house and a better house and a bigger car and a better car. And, and, and it's all about accumulation. It's all about retirement. It's all... The Apostle Paul, when you read Philippians chapter 3, said basically this, I am ruined for this world because I have come to know Jesus. And all the things that I put great value on before, they mean nothing to me. 
Literally, he said, they're, they're a dung hill to me. They mean nothing. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about his status, his social status, why he had uh, excelled above all of his peers. He was uppity in Judaism. He was taught at the feet of Gamaliel. He was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he had a promising career. And he says, I, I count it all for nothing. It matters not one bit to me anymore because I have found Jesus. I want us to be sold out to Jesus. I want us to have a changed outlook. It's not what we get, what we accumulate, what we're able to save, the things that we're able to do in this world. Our outlook needs to change. What really matters is my relationship to him. We set our affections on things above Colossians 3. We, we seek and then set our affections on things above. I, I like what Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10. It talks about one number of people of faith, but one of them is Abraham. And, and in Hebrews, excuse me, chapter 11 and verse 10, it says Abraham was able to do the great things he did for he looked for a city whose builder and maker was God, a city that had foundations. Eh, he was sold out to this world. You can take this world. I'm, I'm living for heaven. And the same thing is said when you go on down to about verse 13 in that same chapter. There were others who had opportunities to have advancements in this life, but they gave it all up in hopes of having a better heavenly country to which they were trying to live and attain. That's how you leave the building. You leave the building when your outlook on life has changed. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2 and verse 20, he said, you know, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet, not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm dead to myself. And all that matters to me now is Jesus, Christ and Him crucified. And that's what's important about life. If we can develop that outlook when we leave this building, what are we going to be like in the workplace? What are we going to be like at school? What are we going to be like in our transact? Have you ever been to Walmart and gotten behind somebody who's just really rude and, and, you know, things went slower or price check, you know, and, and, oh, you know, and, and they do that, oh, audibly and visibly. And that person's frustrated. They don't want to have to do that. And people sometimes just act ugly. And when we sit there and watch it, it's so easy to see. But you know what? If you show kindness, after that person has shown out, can't you make an impact? And when I think about that, I think, would I have ever been the person who acted frustrated and impatient and intolerant? How do you deal with people in restaurants? How do you deal with people in social settings in, in where you, you have interaction on a day-to-day basis? One of the hardest jobs is for people to deal with people uh, in the public because people are so rude to each other. 
but as a child of God, what if I'm, what if I'm different? How does that impact people that I, I come in contact with? Are there ways that I can be ruined for this world and my outlook has changed and my mission in life is so wrapped up in Jesus that I look for opportunities to impress upon people, I belong to Jesus, would you like to get to know him better? Like I said, it's hard to leave the building, but there are reasons to do it, and here are some ways that we can do it that we talked about tonight. I know we resist it, and I'll tell you, sometimes we, we substitute for it. If, if I went upstairs and I walked down the hall and I look in Matthew's room and it, is, it looks like a tornado's gone through it, and I say, Matthew, what in the world? This place looks like a pigsty. Clean your room. If that was what I said, and I just walked downstairs, and two days later I go upstairs again, and I walk by and it looks the exact same way, and, he's, and, and before I can say anything, Matthew comes to me and says, Oh, well, Dad, Dad, wait. No, you don't understand. You know, ever since you, the, the other day, let, let me tell you what I've done. I memorized what you said. Yeah, I memorized it. You said, Matthew, what in the world? This place looks like a pigsty. Clean your room. You, that's exactly what you said. I've committed it to memory. And not only have I memorized it, but, you know, the other night... Um, you know, I had Ethan and Seaver and a bunch of guys over, and, and we sat around my room, and we talked about what that room would look like if it were cleaned. And, and we, we had a, a get-together, and we all memorized your verse or your, your, your statement, your command, and, and we envisioned just what this room would look like if it were clean. And I'll tell you what else we did, Dad. We even looked up the Greek word for clean. It's catharsis. And you know what catharsis? That's the word from which we get our English word catharsis. And, and that's the Greek word for clean. So you see, we've done our study. Aren't you proud of us? Really? No, what I wanted you to do was clean your room. What you substituted was memorization and study and looking up words but that's not what I wanted. And Jesus says to us, I'm leaving the building. You're going to come with me? Come with me. Leave the building. Impact culture. And so here's what we sometimes do. We get together. We heard the, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Uh, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. I've got your verses memorized. We've spent time. I've learned them. I can quote them. That's exactly what you said, right, Lord? And not only did I memorize them, we get together and we talk about it. Sometimes we have gospel meetings just about it and seminars and lectureships and, and special uh, series that tell us and we envision, wow, you know what we could do if we got out there and reach the people with the gospel in different ways? And we envision what we can... Be. And we also know quite a few Greek words too in the meaning of those words. 
doesn't shape up, does it? That's not obedience. That's substitution. At the end of the day, Jesus is still saying, well, you haven't left the building yet. It's great that you know what I said to do. It's great that you memorized it. It's great you know some Greek words. It's great that you meet together as friends and brothers and sisters in Christ and discuss the work that needs to be done. But when are you going to do it? That's what we need to be about. Don't substitute for obedience. To hearken is better than the fat of rams, I believe we'll recall. What we need to realize is that remaining in the building is not an option. Not if we want to be a disciple of Jesus. I love Sundays. I love Wednesdays. God meets us here. It's a time of worship, a time of fellowship, a time of praise. But he leaves the building through the week, and we need to follow. Don't put your Christianity in your back pocket when you leave here tonight and pull it back out next Sunday. He wants you to take it with you. There's more than Christianity. There's more to Christianity than just what takes place in this building. There's holy ground apart from this place right here. It's everywhere you walk, everywhere you take Jesus. Well, what if we stay? What if we don't get outside the building? Then we become what we talked about this morning, just that sterile institution that seems to be out of touch, that doesn't have compassion, that doesn't engage culture. That's not what we want to be. We don't just want to be a cold, sterile institution. We want to be more than just a a museum. We want to interact with people. We want relationship with Jesus. And again, I know it's hard, but it's something we need to do. Let me close with this one passage, and then the lesson will be yours. In Jeremiah chapter 5, there's a statement that is made that the the prophets prophesy falsely. The priests rule by their own power, and the people love to have it so. And I've often wondered, why in the world would they love to have it so? I mean, if, if a prophet is lying to you, why would you be good with that? And if priests, uh, you know, manipulated people and used their power uh, to abuse people, why would you put up with, not only just put up with it, but love to have it so? You know, I think I found the answer to that question. And it's found in Jeremiah chapter 21. In fact, if you'll turn there and look, and we'll close with this passage. In Jeremiah chapter 21, here's what God tells Jeremiah. Look at verse 8. Now you shall say to this people, thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you a way of life and a way of death. He who remains in this city shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. But he who goes out and defects to the Chaldeans who besiege you, he shall live and his life shall be a prize to him. At the time, the Chaldeans had encompassed the city, the Babylonians, and they had gone away. And the prophets were saying, 
we've won. They've left. You, you don't have to do anything. We're safe now. They won't come back. We, we have, they're, they're afraid. They've, they've gone, everything's good. Peace, peace. Boy, that's a nice message to believe, especially if I was living in Jerusalem. To think that they're gone, I don't have to move, we're not going to be invaded, the army's not going to come in and kill us. What a message. Well, I want to believe that's true. But here's the message from God. You tell them life and death is before them. If they stay in the city, they're going to die. But if they leave, they'll live. Leave my house, leave my job, have my family separated, be hauled off into captivity. I don't like that. That's hard. What will become of this and this and this and this? That's the answer. You can stay and die, or you can leave and live. That message is just as true today as it ever was. We can stay in this building and die, or we can leave and live. Jesus and his church need to leave the building and impact our society. If you're here tonight and you're not yet a child of God, why don't you take this opportunity to become a part of God's family, to have the assurances, the inheritance that belongs to those who are His. If you haven't yet been baptized into Christ upon your faith in Jesus, turning away from your sins, we'll assist you in that tonight. God will keep His promise. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful, maybe you haven't been leaving the building. Maybe your Christianity is wrapped up right here. This is about it. If that's the case and you want to change it and you want the prayers of people to help you and to give you strength to embolden you to change it, we'll pray with you tonight if you'll come as we stand together and sing.